We all have a choice. Will I be ruined by regret or rise above it? Regret comes in all forms. We can all think of missed opportunities or loss. Maybe because of our choices or from the choices of others. But there is one who is at work within us. He takes our brokenness and makes us whole. He builds us. He restores us. Let us keep our eyes and heart on him because he is guiding us on the road back from regret. Well, it's great to have everybody here today. We're going to make our way back to Nehemiah chapter 1 in just a second here. But I've got to show you this little video. I saw this video online here this week, and I began to think to myself, this has regret written all over it. Let's go ahead and show that if you've got it there uh, to play. Yeah, this has regret written all over it. Just take a look at this thing. Uh, this is absolutely amazing. I uh, sent a clip of this to uh, our missionary, John Taylor, and to uh, our missions pastor, uh, Pete Michelle, and to Pastor Adam, uh, Pastor Adam and Peter leading the team going to Sumba. And I said, we have just arranged our transportation for our Sumba missions trip. And uh, of course, they got quite a kick out of it. Uh, I want to assure you that if you go on a short-term missions trip here at BCA, you will not be traveling like this, okay? Safety is job one. Uh, now, early on, there were some trips we went on that weren't all that safe. But this goes from bad to worse. Can you imagine? And uh, I don't know if this is what they were hoping, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, man, a living. That is absolutely brutal. Well, we have been talking about the subject of regret. And today we're going to continue our series as we look at uh, finding the road back from regret. You know, eight steps to overcoming negative emotions and painful experiences. Every one of us have experienced regret. Everybody goes through regret. But interestingly enough, there's some that rise above it, and some are actually ruined by it. Now, uh, on the screen, you'll see uh, three books that I've uh, read here recently that uh, I found very interesting. I want you just to look at the titles of these books. These are not Christian books. They're not faith books. But I want you to notice the title, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward, Talked about it last week, and uh, the World Regret Survey is found in this book. Uh, secondly, the choice, Embrace the Possible. Notice that title. This is a story of, of Edie Egger, who at 16 uh, was taken to Auschwitz, and uh, she saw uh, several of her family members taken to the gas chamber, and she was rescued out of a pile of corpses, age 16. Uh, we talked about that last week. And then a book that I finished uh, reading on the trip to uh, Albania, Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Makes Us Whole. She makes the case that life is bitter and sweet all at the same time, always, all the time. There's incongruence and ambiguity. You know, we have things that we're joyful about and things that we're very sad about, things that we're happy about, things that we're sorrowful about. And in each of these books, they talk about human resiliency and the ability that people have to overcome and rise above. And as I read books like this, I think to myself, no one in all the world should understand how to overcome and rise above better than Christians. We have a Savior who rose from the dead, for heaven's sake. And the Bible says the very power that lives uh, in us is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We should have a corner on the market about rising above, and yet I find in the work that I do 
that the reason most people get disillusioned in their faith and derailed in their faith is their inability to rise above regret. They're ruined by it. And that's why we're talking about it here for these few weeks. How do I rise above and not be ruined by regret? You know, painful experiences really cause negative emotions. We go through a painful experience and we go, God, where were you? Why did this happen? God, if you're so good, why did I, was I allowed to go through that? And, and people get angry and bitter and resentful and disillusioned and they're full of despair. We want to talk about how we overcome negative emotions and how we rise above painful experiences. It's not easy. In fact, it's really hard. That's why we need the Savior to help us. That's why we need the strength of God Almighty to help us. Sierra shared on the screen a moment ago uh, the website, and you can uh, take a picture of this QR code. Next slide here, the QR code, and it'll take you to the website where there are uh, many, many resources and opportunities for you to really dive in and study with us and ponder with us every single day throughout the week, memorizing scripture, studying the study questions. You can go to the app. You'll find the outline for today's sermon. You'll also see a, just a myriad of study questions for further consideration and thought. We encourage you to take advantage of that. You know, last week I shared with you really a uh, kind of a foundation illustration uh, for this entire series, and uh, a world regret survey was conducted in 105 different countries and uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of results, and I've read some of those results. And the author, Daniel Pink, consolidates the results into four different categories. We talked about this last week, foundation regrets, boldness regrets, foundation regrets are, why didn't I save more for retirement, you know, those kind of regrets. Boldness regrets. Why didn't I, you know, go to school or advance my education? Um, moral regrets. That's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, as Christians, as people of the Word of God, we understand disobeying God, disobeying the teachings of Scripture. And then there's connection regrets. This is all about personal relationships. Why didn't I rebuild that bridge? Why didn't I forgive that person? Why didn't I run after that relationship? And, you know, all of the regrets are boiled down, hundreds and, and thousands and, and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of regrets that came piling in were categorized in these four. I like to think of three different categories just for me. It's, it's you know, uh, regrets that happen to us, you know, cancer, hurricanes, things that are out of our control. Uh, regrets because of things we've done, you know, moral regrets. Uh, how about... Um, you know, not taking advantage of opportunities that are before us, missed opportunities. And then other regrets are what people do to us, you know, what we do ourselves, and sometimes it's what people do to us, how they hurt us, how they reject us, how they take advantage of us. Well, it's the moral regrets that I want us to think about here today. And we shared a key scripture last week that I want to just come back to to make a point of it, and it's James chapter 1, 2 through 4. And as you see here on screen, it says, Consider it pure joy when you... Uh, Face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work. You know, I think this verse is powerful for three of the four categories, but not moral regrets. Perseverance is not the word. James isn't saying, hey, consider it pure joy uh, when you face the problems that come to you because you committed adultery. 
<laughs> That's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about, you know, the, the mishaps and challenges of life that happen to you or happen in your relationship. He's not saying, hey, consider it pure joy when you face the consequences of robbing a bank. That's not what he's talking about. No, instead of perseverance, a word that we're going to talk about today, which is not in vogue today, is the word repentance. Repentance. When we think of moral regret, when we think of sinning, breaking God's code, God's commands, one of the first things that we need to think about is repentance. And Nehemiah gives us a master class, a master class on the subject of repentance. And I want us to look at five parts to repentance. Five parts to repentance, and we're going to work our way through Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Let's take a look at the first part. I need to acknowledge the devastation of my disobedience. This is what Nehemiah does. He acknowledges the devastation of his, his disobedience, the disobedience of the Israelites, the disobedience of his uh, extended family. He is devastated. He is deeply moved. He is broken by sin. That is the attitude we should have. I've been thinking all week long on, on really two groups of people. Uh, there are those that are humble, contrite, penitent, repentant, confessing their sins. They are humble, humble, humble. And then there are those today that are haughty, arrogant, prideful. If we are going to win over sin, if we are going to find the road back from regret and, and understand repentance, we must be humble of heart. Can I hear a big amen to that? In the saying, instead of saying, God, I'm going to do whatever I want, when I want, how I want, we need to say, God, forgive me, I am a sinner. And we need to be devastated, just like Nehemiah was. You look at the first three verses of Nehemiah chapter 1, and he hears the story of what's going on in Jerusalem. The walls are down, destroyed, and back in those days, a city without a wall was no city at all. Uh, they were unprotected. Their wives and children were vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Their livelihood was all but uh, sure to go away. Uh, they didn't have safety to practice their spiritual, uh, spiritual life around the temple. Uh, Nehemiah understood all that, and he understood one thing more, the reason for that. God took his hand of blessing off the Israelites because they lived a life of perpetual disobedience, and as a result of their sin, their city was sacked, the temple was destroyed, and they were exiled to foreign lands. And he was overcome with grief. Overcome with grief. When is the last time you wept before God? Broken, crying out for his mercy and grace. That's something we need to do because we all have moral regret. And this message is for all of us, but it's especially for some of us. Because within the sound of my voice today, I know this about human nature, that there are some who are living a lie, who are living a life of moral degradation, who are living in an affair, trying to conceal a sin, trying to harbor in their heart. Nobody else will ever know this sin or that sin. And God is saying, be devastated, be humble of heart, be devastated by your sin, just like Nehemiah. The Greek word for repentance is metaneo, which means to change your mind, change your action, change your direction, change your behavior. God wants us to be going this way where we're living a life of sin and recognize it and start moving in the opposite direction, turning from our sin and turning to God. Today we live in a day of moral relativity where people minimize sin, rationalize sin, don't care about sin. And I can break God's law here, I can break God's law here, I can do this, I can do that, and, you know, people just kind of want to 
you know, sing along with Frank Sinatra. I did it my way instead of doing it God's way, humbly before him. I love this verse tucked away in Proverbs 28. It says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We don't conceal, we acknowledge. We don't conceal or try to hide, we acknowledge. David lured Bathsheba into adultery and he conspired against her husband Uriah to have him killed. Finally, Nathan the prophet came on the scene and called him on it and tells him of how his sin wrecked and ruined and ravaged so many other people, including him and his family. And he finally woke up to the fact and he repented of his sin. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are great confessional repentance psalms that talk about David trying to find the road back from regret. And in verse 3 of chapter 32, when I kept silent, before I acknowledged my sin, when I kept silent, when I was trying to hide my sin and conceal my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, finally, I woke up and acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Amen. In Psalm 51, he says, have mercy on me, O God. He's beginning to acknowledge his sin. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love or according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Repentance. It requires that we acknowledge the devastation of sin. As I shared a little bit last week, uh, I just came back with our team from Albania. And the pastor of our sister church in Duras, Albania is Pastor Gazim and his dear wife, Ariana. I think we've got a picture of them coming up here next somewhere. And these are dear, dear people, just wonderful servants of Christ. Gazim's story is an amazing one. He uh, found Christ at the age of 30. He was running his coffee shop, and a missionary came in as, uh, thing, as the Lord would have it. And, and the missionary began talking to him, and, and Gazim tells a story about how the missionary said, hey, did you know your Gazim means joy? In Albanian, I assume, maybe it was another language, but your, your name means joy, and uh, led one thing to another, and wouldn't you know it? But he began to share the gospel, shared his faith, and Gazim had a road to Damascus experience, gave his life to Christ right there, right then. It was a pow- it's a powerful story when you think about it. He repented of his sin, and he turned completely to Jesus for the rest of his life. Now, we think of that and go, wow, isn't that awesome? Well, there's more to the story. Everybody in his family was Muslim. His grandfather was an imam, and he had a gun placed to his temple on at least five different occasions. And he was told, if you do not recant of this Christian stuff, We're going to take your life. He said, do it. He kept strong in his faith with Jesus Christ, but he was the only one in his whole fire. His wife, Ariana, was a devout Muslim. But as the days and weeks and months rolled on, she came down with a severe life-threatening illness. Whatever that was, it was about to take her life. She was literally on her deathbed, and she cried out, God, I don't know if I believe in you like my husband does, but if you're real... And if you heal me, I will serve you the rest of my life. He did, and she does. (laughs) She came to Christ at that moment as God healed her body, and their story is a powerful story. And they pastor our sister church in Duras. At age 33, 
Gazim went to Rome to Bible school. That's where he met our missionary, Terry Peretti. Of course, Terry introduced us all some years ago now. And it's just a powerful, powerful story. Gazim started the ball rolling. Now his family, some, some extended family and others are finding their way to Christ. It started with repentance. He repented. He turned from a life of sin. He turned from a life of living apart from God to serving Christ. Now, within the sound of my voice, there are those that need to give your life to Christ. You need to come to Christ. Uh, you've not committed your life, or maybe you did in years gone by, and now you need to recommit your life because you've walked away. But there are others who are kind of more like Nehemiah's story, people who are Christians but who are living a life of deep-seated compromise. And maybe that's you today. See, Nehemiah was talking about the people of God, the Israelites. I mean, you know, they followed the Ten Commandments. I mean, God parted the Red Sea for them. They had rich spiritual history. They knew the Lord, but they compromised. They started to worship foreign idols, slipped away, and as a result, God took his hand of protection off them, and they were captured, they were ruined, and they were exiled. And today, there are many, many people walking around with a label on their forehead that says, I'm a Christian, but their life is far from it. And the point of repentance is we change our mind, we change our attitude, and we change our life. And we live like Jesus. Can I hear an amen out there? That's what it means to be Christian, to follow Jesus every day in every way. That's the standard. That's the expectation. And that's the calling. So what about you today? Where are you? Where do you need to repent? How do you need to repent? Number two, we need to fear and revere the Lord God Almighty. Notice Nehemiah's words. Then he said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Some of these words jump out to me. God of heaven, great, awesome. You know what we need is a fresh dose of holy awe. We like to think about Jesus meek and mild in the, in the manger, and that's beautiful and that's good. But we need a fresh dose of Old Testament uh, consuming fire once in a while. We need to know that there's one God, one God only. I'm not him. He's the only, and I need to serve him with my whole heart. We need to be moved deeply by the sovereignty, the almighty nature of God. And this is not in vogue today. I uh, have a healthy respect for the law of gravity. Anybody out there? Uh, now, I, I'm not afraid of flying at all. I'm not afraid of flying in helicopters. Not, I'm not afraid of gondolas. But you take me to the edge of a cliff or take me on a bridge like this one right here, the uh, bridge in uh, the Royal Gorge Bridge in uh, Colorado that I walked across here uh, a few months ago. Uh, Lisa and I went down to see a couple of our boys. And, you know, you look over the edge, and it is a long ways down. How many believe in the law of gravity? Uh, if I fall off the edge, I'm not growing wings anytime soon. And, you know, I just kind of get a little bit of, you know, how many are that way? You know, you're just really, you're not afraid of heights, you just really respect them. Let me see your hands out there. Okay, there's a few of us. Uh, well, there, there's some other laws that I really, really believe in a whole lot more, and that are spiritual laws, spiritual laws. There is one and only one God. There is one and only one Savior. And I desperately, desperately need his forgiveness and grace. And everything and all of me needs to be consumed by the fact he alone is God. 
and I need to serve him. I need to follow him with my whole life. I need to submit. I need to surrender. I need to serve to the one and only sovereign. Let me say that again. I need to submit. I need to surrender. I need to serve the one and only sovereign. He alone is the sovereign. He alone is almighty God. And I need to have a healthy dose of awe. I need to fear and revere him. You know, David finally got this in Psalm 51.4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. God, you are the almighty judge, the one and only. In 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, Peter reminds us that we are to be holy as he himself is holy. God is loving, but he's also just. He's holy. He will forgive us, but he also must punish sin. It's part of his nature. And we need to turn from sin. We need to turn to God. Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom and knowledge. If we want to be wise in God's eyes, we will fear and revere his holy name. A third part of repentance that Nehemiah addresses here in his master class on repentance is we need to confess our sins and not minimize our sins. In verse, uh, verses 6 and 7, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. He's not blaming a lot of other people. He's saying all of us, the Israelites, you know, kind of the big group, me, my family, we have all blown it. The reason we're in this predicament is because we took our eyes off you and started to listen to idols and follow foreign gods. And as a result, the blessing of God was lifted and we were sacked and exiled. We have acted wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed. Whoa, Nehemiah, why don't you tell us how you really feel? I mean, he is laying out there, and that's exactly what we need to do. No wishy-washy, no, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. No, this is the standard, that's what God says, and if I want the best for my life and my family, I need to live up to that standard, because that's where the blessing of God is, in obedience. The blessing of God is in obedience. He's merciful, he's forgiving, he's all of that, but he's also holy and just, and he commands, demands that we live according to his perfect word. He has our best interest at heart. If I uh, have something really, really wrong with me and I find out that I have cancer, you know, a, a debilitating disease of one kind or another, and I go into the doctor and the doctor says, hey, here's 24 Band-Aids, put a fresh one on your elbow one hour every hour for the next 24 hours and you will be healed. Uh, you're going to be a little bit like me if that's what you're told. And you're going to say, you know, I'm not a physician, but, you know, that just doesn't try to, that doesn't make sense to me. How do you deal with an internal problem superficially? And when it comes to spiritual stuff, we're not looking for spiritual band-aids. We need to get to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of our heart. And I want to ask you today, in what areas of your heart are you living a life of compromise? Hatred toward other people, sexual sin every form of sin you can imagine, where do you need to repent and ask God for forgiveness? Where do you need to find the road back from moral regret and find restoration and redemption and healing in Jesus Christ? Just like Nehemiah and the Israelites did way back there in Nehemiah chapter one. He prays, Nehemiah, a prayer of great confession here. In fact, if you look at uh, 
verses 4 through 11, you see, as we see many places in the Bible, the Acts acrostic, which is the way we talk about praying a lot around here. Prayers of adoration. Let's go to the next slide. Prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of supplication. You know, adoration's praising his wonderful name. Confession, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Thanksgiving, being thankful and grateful for the many blessings of God. And then supplication, the prayers that we're the best at. God, help me, help me, help me. Anybody pray to help me prayer? It's biblical. Keep it up. Uh, I do it every day. So uh, let's, let's go, go hard and strong with that. But confession. And David prayed a confession prayer in Psalm 32.5. I will confess the guilt of my sin. I've committed adultery with Bathsheba. I've conspired against her husband and had him essentially murdered. I have really, really grievously broken the heart of God. He prays in Psalm 51, cleanse me with hyssop. I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Prayers of deep penitence and contrition, repentance and confession. Number four, a fourth part of repentance is we need to turn from sin and turn to God in total obedience. Look at verse 8 and 9. Nehemiah is talking to the Lord, having this conversation in prayer, saying, Hey, remember the instruction you gave, Lord God Almighty, to Moses, your servant. You said, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Well, God, that's what happened. We were unfaithful. We started following you know, foreign gods. We are unfaithful spiritually. So you took your hand of protection office and we were sacked and we were exiled. But Lord, I want to talk to you about the next thing that you said. And he puts in the word but, B-U-T. But if we return to you, if you return to me and obey my commands, then I will basically redeem you. I will restore you. If, if you return to me, if you return to me. Return, repent, restore. Just think of that axiom. I need to return, I need to repent, and I need to restore. I was talking to a gentleman who was struggling uh, in his life and trying to break free from uh, not living for himself and sin and living for God, and I just was talking this type of a message to him. You need to repent, you need to ask God forgiveness, you need to return to the Lord with all your heart, and he will, he will deliver you, he will forgive you, he will restore you. But you, it starts with you. He's already made the first move. He went. Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. But now you need to ask for forgiveness, and you need to be serious about it. Repent. Turn 180 degrees, and he will restore you. Acts 3.19 says, repent and return. John 14.15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Live for me. True repentance means we turn from a life of self and sin, and we follow Christ in obedience. Recovery from moral failure requires repentance. You know, the story of the prodigal son is a story that's repeated in different ways, but with the same meaning over and over in Scripture. The son took all of his inheritance and he went and he blew it on wild living and he finally realized, man, I need to repent. I need to go back to my dad, see if he'll forgive me and see if I can be restored. And as you know the story, he did and he was. He came back, the father forgave him. It's a story we see over and over in Scripture. Jesus says, I love you. Jesus says, I'll forgive you. Jesus says, I'll welcome you home. Jesus says, I love you, I forgive you, and I'll welcome you home. But it starts with repentance. 
I need to admit to God I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. Deliver me of my sin. I want to come home. And when we say that with sincerity of heart, the rest of it is automatic. It's why Jesus went to the cross to deliver us, to forgive us, to purchase for us everlasting life. But we have to choose to follow him, to confess, to repent, and to follow him. David said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Psalm 51, David said, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That is the prerequisite for living a life of contrition, confession, penitence, and repentance. A broken and contrite heart. Finally, number five. Ask God to help you as you move forward. Now, this is one of the things I love about Nehemiah. These first four points, we work our way, verses 4 through 10. It's all about God forgive us. We repent. We have blown it. But once he has worked through that and confessed with integrity of heart and with an authentic attitude, he then says, Lord, that's not the end of our story. We've blown it. That's just a season of our story. That's not our story. It's a season. It's a bad season, but it's a season. We want the rest of our life to be the best of our life, and we're moving forward from this time on, and it's time to get those walls rebuilt. It's time to rebuild your kingdom, rebuild your people, rebuild uh, uh, the kingdom of God. It's time to get moving forward. That's the whole message of this series. We look back to learn, but then we move forward. Whatever moral regret that you have, and maybe it's the worst of the worst, maybe it makes David look like child's play adultery, and murder. Maybe you say, I can top that. You know, whatever it is, there is a season of sin and then there is a story of your life. Do you want the season of your sin to be the story or do you want to repent, confess, give it all to God and have him rewrite the next chapters of your life so that the story of your life is an amazing comeback story? How many can say amen to that? We can find restoration and redemption through Jesus Christ. It's the story Nehemiah presents to us. It's the story Jesus shows us over and over and over again. And it's the story that God makes available to you and me. Nehemiah said, we've blown it, but we now need to get back to rebuilding the wall. And maybe for you, it's not rebuilding the wall, but it's rebuilding your marriage, rebuilding your finances, Rebuilding some relationships, rebuilding your ministry, rebuilding your faith. Maybe there's some things that you really, really regret, and they've shattered a lot of this for you, but now it's time to rebuild. And my challenge to you, let's go with Nehemiah on this. Let's not settle for regret. Let's turn regret into something special by finding the road back, returning to Christ, recovering being restored, being redeemed. Maybe you're overcoming addiction. Maybe you've done some things that have devastated your family. Confess, repent, ask for forgiveness of God and others, and one step after the other, find the road back. You can do that through Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer with me, everybody. God, help me honor you in all I say, all I do from this point forward. I recognize my sinful ways have destroyed and hurt many, but God, I move forward. I move forward. That's what Nehemiah prayed. Notice these five parts said just a little more simply. 
acknowledge sin's destruction, adore Jesus as Savior, admit you're a sinner saved by grace, appeal for forgiveness, and ask help to move forward. Help to move forward. That's the trajectory of Scripture. David went from regret to restoration. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. He could have said, I'm a loser. I've blown it. I've wrecked so much. But he said that, but then he said, Lord, there's more that you want to do in and through my life. He prayed for deliverance. He said, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. Psalm 32, 7. The result of repentance, look what he says in verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, you upright in heart. Five parts to repent. So I'm going to close with a story of Jesus' ministry and then just a final illustration, then we'll uh, be done. We all know the story of Jesus in John chapter 8. If you don't know that story, I encourage you to read it here today. It's a story that uh, is so powerful, a story where a bunch of religious leaders threw a woman at Jesus' feet. She was caught in the act of adultery. Why the man wasn't thrown there, you know, both is another story for another day. But she's there, and the religious leaders, haughty and angry and legalistic, said, hey, Jesus, trying to catch him in a trap. Jesus, the scripture says that if you're caught in the act of adultery, you need to be stoned to death. What do you say? And if you remember the story, Jesus wrote a little bit in the ground, looked at the woman. She's on her knees laying before him looking for anybody that will help, anybody that will care, anybody that will show mercy. And I like to picture it this way, even though the Bible doesn't say this exactly. I like to think of Jesus stepping between those that are getting ready to stone her and her. That's just the way I picture it. He's our mediator. He's our go-between. He's our protector. He's our savior. And he stepped in between, as I like to imagine. He said, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. You remember that story. And to their credit, one by one, they recognized their own sinfulness and they left. And then he offered to this woman the six most powerful, life-saving and life-changing words in all of the Bible. In verse 11, he says, go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. That's repentance. You were living a life of sin, now go 180 degrees and go the other way. Leave your life of sin. She was guilty, so are we. She needed forgiveness, so do we. She needed to change, so do we. Repentance. That's what it's all about. Lisa and I uh, have three sons, and the two oldest are captains in the Army, as you've heard me share before, and uh, uh, each of them spent three years in uh, Europe. So Elise and I would have the pleasure of going to catch up with them, see them, and see a little bit of Europe while we were there. And I remember uh, uh, one of the trips, we uh, made our way over to England on the way home. And uh, first time ever there, and, uh, you know, we made our way on the, uh, on the highway, the, the freeways there, and we're speeding along, people drive fast, and we come to all these roundabouts. Uh, some of you that have been there, there's lots and lots of roundabouts. I think we got a picture here. Uh, there's just lots and lots of roundabouts. And, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, do I get off on this one? Trying to follow GPS. There's cars all around you. You're, you're, you're driving on the opposite side of the car. How many know what I'm talking about? That is not as simple as it sounds. 
And, uh, you know, our, our second oldest son is coming and he's traveling around uh, England with us for a few days. And I said, listen, I have raised you. I've taken care of you my whole life. You drive. <laughs> he was used to it. He'd lived there and had a lot of uh, work there. And so uh, he drove. And there were times I wondered if that was a good idea because what I exchanged is my driving and concern about that being an accident waiting to happen and his you know, 150 miles an hour driving all the time. You know, that created another kind of concern. But we're in these roundabouts going round and round and round. And I was just thinking about that here this past week. A lot of people are caught in roundabouts. Do I get off here? Do I get off there? Do I get off here? And they keep spinning round and round. I've been on a few roundabouts where I keep going round and round until I figure out how to get over, where to get off. And I just think about this kind of in a spiritual way. People keep spinning and spinning and sinning and sinning. Spinning and sinning. And they don't get off the treadmill. They don't get off the roundabout. They just keep going and going and going. And repentance is all about getting off the roundabout. And there's only one direction that God wants us to go. If we're going this way, he wants us to get off on the one that takes us that way. We turn away from sin, and we turn to God. That's repentance. And I know that resonates with some here today. You're caught on this roundabout where you keep going. Today is your day to get off. Now is your day of repentance and salvation. Jesus Christ is saying to you, I want to forgive you. I want to strengthen you. I want to deliver you. I want to save your marriage. I want to save your family. I want to save your future. Today is your day. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Rob, I am dealing with moral regret and it breaks me deeply. Well, it did Nehemiah. Then it did David. And it did others in the Bible. And they found the road back from moral regret. And they repented of their sin and called it what it was, sin against Almighty God. And they began to turn a corner and they got on the right road that led them to redemption and recovery and restoration. And that's what God wants for you. He wants the past sinful season to be just a season, not the total story. He's given you a chance and a choice. You have the chance to confess and repent and you need to make that choice to do so so you get back on the road to recovery from moral regret. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would take a moment, just raise your hand and say, Pastor Rob, would you pray for me? I want to get on the road back from regret. Here's my hand. Just lift it high and hold it there for a moment. Sincerely in your heart of hearts, you want to find the road back from regret. God bless you. How many are here today and say, Pastor Rob, I, I need to commit or recommit my life to Jesus today. I need to commit or recommit my life to Jesus today. I've not been living for him. I've been living a life of compromise. Or maybe I've never committed my life to Christ. But today, I want to commit or recommit my life to Jesus. With every head bowed and eye closed, how many would raise your hand there and say, today I want to commit or recommit my life to Jesus. I want the rest of my life going forward to be all about serving Jesus and putting him first in my life. God bless you, friends. God bless you. God bless you. God, you know our hearts. You see our hands. You know our story. 
and we want to commit our lives to you. We want the rest of our life to be the best of our life. We want to take this chance and make the choice to serve you. I want to invite everybody to stand, and at this time I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. In our tradition service and online, I'm going to have our host pastors lead us from this point forward. But here in the worship center, I I want us to sing a song, and as we do, I want to invite you, friend, to step out from where you are and come to find a place of prayer. If you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ, if you want to find the road back from regret, and here's one more thing. If you want to stand in for someone that's very near and dear to you, you may say, you know, Pastor Rob, I've been serving God. I'm committed to Christ, and, and uh, he's with me, and I'm with him. Who in your life are you praying for? Who are you praying for that they repent, find Jesus, turn to him, turn from sin? Who are you praying for? In our class, our, uh, our BCB class, uh, uh, basic Christian beliefs class on Wednesday night, someone said, I've been praying for this loved one, named him by name, for 17 years. Who are you praying for? See, it's not just about us. It's about those around us, too. Who can we pray for along these lines of, of repent, repentance and salvation and confession and coming to faith in Jesus? Maybe more than we ever have. I invite you to, as we sing, come forward and represent them, stand in for them, pray for them. Let's sing together, and then I'll close our service in uh, a final prayer in just a couple minutes. But let's just sing and open our hearts to Jesus as we do. Just open our hearts.